Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Deitch, editor and publisher of the Pittsburgh Current. Um, we are one week away from uh, the November 5th general election. We are four days removed or three days removed from the newest issue of the Pittsburgh Current hitting the streets. Um, you'll find our um, commemoration remembrance coverage of the Tree of Life uh, tragedy of a year ago. Um, you'll also find some uh, coverage of... Three pretty important races coming up in this uh, this Tuesday's election, um, bef- and we have a great guest today to talk about that stuff. But before we do, I wanted to remind you that we have a repeal day party, sponsored uh, by the Pittsburgh Current. It's at Max's Allegheny Tavern, and you can go to pittsburghcurrent.com for more information. And then on December 13th, we have Jim Cren, uh, Yinzer Christmas at the Roxian Theater. Um, Jim Cren, uh, along with the Bill Henry Band, will be performing uh, holiday classics and standards, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be a good time. And you can also go to PittsburghCurrent.com for more information on that. But my guest today, uh, enough about parties. We're going to talk about political parties. <laughs> Karen Young, the Pittsburgh Current political analyst, is with us today. Um, we were just talking before we came on. You're excited about this week's election, huh? It's oh, like kid the candy store. Very uh, a DA's race and two ballot initiatives and judges. Yeah, the ballot initiative is are something that that you know we don't. I mean, it seems like we don't get any, and then we've had now the last two cycles at least we've had. Uh, we had the 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 children's fund initiative. Yeah, please, someone think of the children amendment or whatever that was called, yeah. and that the, the went down, and now we're uh, we're we're looking at. Uh, Two amendments, but before we before we get into that, let's get it. Let's talk about the DA's race because I think that everybody sees that as the, um, and I think it is. It is definitely the marquee matchup between uh, incumbent uh, Democrat Stephen Zappala and independent um, challenger um, Lisa Middleman. Um, and you know, she, I, Lisa is a is a Democrat who changed to independent so she could run against Steve. Yes. Um, I know this is a race you've written about. Um, I've written about. Um, talk to me a little bit about that race. What do you see as um, as the headlines for this race? Well, I think it's um, it's going to be a tough hill to climb for Miss Middleman yeah. in uh, beating the incumbent district attorney who is running on both the Republican and the Democratic tickets. I think she needs to peel off something like 90% of the de- 80 or 90% of the Democratic voters. Wow. And if she does that, that could have ripples uh, around the state and uh, the statewide elections, the statewide court races that we have. Yeah, and talk about that. So, so that's one of the things that they're pushing along with some other folks who are saying don't vote straight ticket. And and you know, I've uh, personally, I've never, <laughs> I've never hit the straight ticket button, but I probably almost always vote straight ticket. Um, but I always sort of like that. But I know a lot of people just go in and they they vote straight ticket and um, go into a little bit more detail. How do you think that's going to affect if there people aren't voting? Straight ticket. How's that going to affect some of these other races, like the judicial races, which we'll talk about? Well, in a at the top of the ticket, you'll have the superior court race, which the two Democrats are Amanda Green Hawkins, uh, who is from Pittsburgh, right. and uh, Danny McCaffrey, who's from Philadelphia, who's a judge from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could negatively affect both of those candidates if you know you lost forty or fifty thousand straight ticket Democratic voters right. to a Democratic independent. Um, and you know, I'd, I'll be interested to see how that turns out on election night. Is um, is, do you think it's a case where people 
just won't pay as close attention to those judicial races or what, what is the dynamic there in terms of, I think all the attention right now is on the district attorney's right. race. Um, I, I'm not hearing anybody talking about the, the judicial races that are, that are going on. Um, so right now the, the entire County is focused on, uh, whether we will have a new district attorney or not. And, you know, I'm wondering if Democratic voters are going to come out in droves to to vote for an independent, uh, a new progressive. Right. And now some, there are some Democrats um, uh, who have who have broken with the party ticket and um, Summer Lee, uh, Ed Ganey and some others have um, have endorsed um, Lisa. Um, but that also comes that could come with a price, too. Right. When I mean, because the, the rules of the Democratic County Democratic Party are, are pretty clear when it comes to this kind of thing, right? Uh, for any elected official, I would say, yes, it would have some negative consequences. Mm-hmm. For Summer, the, the consequences are different than for people like Ed. Ed is on the Democratic Committee, therefore gotcha. the bylaws and rules of the Democratic Committee apply to him, but don't necessarily apply to her, even though they're both state legislators. Got gotcha. you. Um, so to, to see people who are on the Democratic Committee coming out and doing this, not just elected officials, uh, knowing that there may be reprisals next year, uh, is is pretty big to me it's uh it's interesting to it's interesting to see i don't think i've ever seen uh committee people come out so openly against uh an endor- a nominated candidate and i mean i think i think a lot of people have some idea about um i mean steven zapala has been and these aren't new things necessarily that people have been saying about steven zapala in terms of uh um for example, you know, how he handles cases involving police officers, um, how he's, you know, there've been, there've been, uh, there've been complaints that he, that he charges differently depending on if it's a, uh, depending on the community, depending on who it is. In fact, you know, one of the biggest cases recently in charging was the case, uh, or the, the issue, the, um, the two the two women who were beaten at a at a local gas station and he chose to charge them with simple assault rather than aggravated assault and there have been some uh, legal legal scholars legal scholars I don't know some folks in the legal realm have said you know that certainly aggravated assault could have happened there and then most most recently of course we have the case of the teenagers who were left in the county jail for 15 months I think something like that when there were they had clear alibis sort of you know showing their um you know, showing their innocence. And so these are the kind of things, um, these are the kinds of things that, that people are looking at. Do you, two questions on that. So do you think that that's enough for Lisa Middleman to make the ground she needs? And number two, if some of these things had happened before the spring election, if there were some really, oh, we had the, we had the Antoine Rose, uh, the Michael Rosefeld trial right before the spring election. But if we had a couple more incidents like this, do you think it could have been different for Teron Jenkins in the I, spring? I think it could have been very different for Teron Jenkins. Um, I also believe that uh, inside of a Democratic primary, the black community in the county has an outsized influence. Right. Uh, we're highly registered as Democrats, and we show up to vote in Democratic primaries mm-hmm. and have been conditioned to. It's also you're not running against a straight ticket column where they can just walk in and press one button and get – everyone that's on a certain right. ticket. Uh, I believe that, you know, you would have had a lot more interest, maybe a lot more enthusiasm around Mr. Jenkins if you if you had had some of this stuff, you know, com- compressed and condensed into uh, a primary cycle with the Rossfeld trial already going on. Um, I believe that Mr. Jenkins probably got 80% of the African-American vote 
uh, in this county. I don't mm-hmm. think that's a, a stretch to say. No, that. I don't think so. Um, and I think that's that's partially what propelled him uh, to come so close in a primary. I think the the one thing that I worry about uh, in the district attorney's race here in the fall uh, is that African Americans are about ten percent of the county, uh, mm-hmm. and we're talking about a general election. Uh, so you know, having a hundred percent of the African American vote. What does what does that actually get you? I think right. when you're when you're talking about a general election, you really need to uh, try to figure out what's going to help pick up white voters in the suburbs. And I'm wondering if the issues that you stated are enough to convince right. white voters that it's time for a change. And I don't I don't necessarily know the answer to that one. What are your um in your in your in your thoughts um in my what do you what do you see um just sort of kind of put a bow on the DA's race here? What do you see as the pros and cons for both candidates? Um, the pros. For Steve Zappala, that most people know who he is and they know what they're going to get as, as a prosecutor. Uh, and the pros for the pro for Lisa Middleman would be that she's new and mm-hmm. that uh, certain people in the county believe that it is time for a change across the board, not right. just in the district attorney's office. Uh, you know, we're looking at people running against in mass, running against House members that have been in, in office for uh, decades and running against uh, our congressmen. Uh, and other elected officials around the county. So there's an appetite for uh, change across the board. The cons to both candidates, I believe, uh, I would, I, I personally voted for Teron Jenkins because Teron Jenkins had some of the same life experiences as me growing up. Mm-hmm. I think both of these candidates are more representative of the suburban communities and not the city. I'd like mm-hmm. a, a city-focused uh, district attorney. And I don't necessarily see that right now, so... Yeah, and I think that that's what that's when a, a lot of the a lot of the buzz and the push behind Teron Jenkins when he announced was so huge. And then, of course, there was the the situation, the comments that he made um, regarding the LGBT community, and yeah. um, that really it really really uh, hampered his campaign. Yeah, uh, I had he not made those comments, I think he would have been in a in a much different position yeah. with much more volunteer support and maybe a, a couple a couple more dollars in his campaign coffers to help him do some of the things that he needed to do to win. Yeah. And I also, I think that he probably waited way too long to address those issues. And then when he did, you know, he seemed to have, you know, um, some pretty solid answers. And, and he, and he, as he said, he was, he was out there educating himself and learning and you, so you can't fault somebody for that, but it just, uh, I think it was, it was a little too long of a time for a response. I think. I, I, I don't think that, it, I, I don't think that was the problem. I no? think he, I think he addressed it, um, Faster than Miss Middleman addressed the the, the comments in, uh, that she made in, uh, in uh, ju- during jury selection, right. uh, he was relatively quick about addressing sure. it and having a having a conversation and a dialogue with the community. It's just he wasn't saying what they wanted to hear. Correct, and the things, and I think that's what you're right. in terms of addressing it. He did address it immediately, but. What I'm, you know, we will get to the Lisa stuff in a second. Um, but what I was saying was, so when I interviewed him, probably a month out, month and a half out before the election, um, you know, he really spoke to it from um, so as someone who had been doing his homework, who'd been educating himself, who'd been talking to different people in the community, and really seemed to have not just a grasp of why people complained or why people were upset at that. I feel like he. It also seemed like he had a grasp on um, a new sort of attitude and he, you know, he educated himself. And that's what I meant 
But that was we're talking six weeks out before the election. That's what that's yeah. the section that I'm talking about. You can't you can't come up with a new attitude and a new view on life right before an election. <laughs> right, exactly, and exactly. People and, are going to think it's the most genuine thing in the world. Right, exactly. So it's uh, yeah. So that was that's what I, I meant by that. But let's yeah. So let's you wrote about this, and we had Lisa on the show a few weeks ago. Um, I'm calling the story up, but go ahead and give us a little background on the event that you're talking about. Uh, the the event uh, was uh, in 1992, I believe it was. Uh, Miss Middleman, uh, this uh, during jury selection, she struck two African American women uh, for being heavyset while she was representing a white supremacist, and uh, this came out earlier in the campaign. She subsequently apologized and said that her remarks were sarcastic. Um, in an opinion column that I wrote, I, I wrote that after reading the transcript, I didn't believe that the apology was sincere, nor did I believe that the remarks were sarcastic. Um, and that's, that's pretty much how it was addressed and where it was, where it was left. Uh, I believe she's still telling people that the remarks were, were sarcastic. And I, I believe that that's something that voters should consider, sure. but I, I don't believe that it's going to be the ultimate disqualifier, especially with the black community. Yeah. Uh, but it is something that I believe people are considering. And I will say though, I think that if you're thinking of like, uh, this is just something that just came to me the last, the last few days as I was preparing for the election issue. But, um, if you think about, um, I think that it's, it's become, as your column points out, you know, you point out right from the top that this was a diversionary tactic to pull away from the fact that she was getting, black jurors off her jury but a lot of people when they read this now when they talk about it they talk about the insensitive comments she made against fat people and so it's become sort of that issue and the issue of why the diversion was maybe put in place in the first place was you know it's sort of i think pushed to the side a little bit well for some of the people that i've that i've talked to um really you know heard a dog whistle when they, when mm-hmm. they heard what she said about uh heavy set black women yeah. um, and them being sloppy. Uh, it's it to, to a lot of people, yeah. it's uh, you know, well, those are all euphemisms for, you know, those are black people. Let's get them off the jury. Right. You know, they're sloppy. They're fat. They're, you know, I can't expect them to pay attension. You know, those were all things. I think that, the word lazy was in there too. The, la- the word yeah. lazy was definitely yeah. in there. Um, not that it's, it's funny, but it's just, right. You know, no, it's, just, these are all things, all tropes that are run out about black people right. regularly uh, and have been for decades. Uh, and I, I think the, the fact that that wasn't addressed, uh, is is somewhat alarming but she's she's running on a platform stating that you know she's going to be the reformer of the criminal justice system here in the county uh if if you want to take her at her word give her a shot <laughs> I, <laughs> I i just i as from watching this from afar um i don't know what to expect from elisa middleman yeah. if she's elected district attorney um and quite honestly I believe that it's it's very slim the chance that she'll actually get elected because of the numbers that I previously dictated. Yeah, it's a huge uh, mountain. You to know, climb. you you have a candidate in the the in the incumbent district attorney who is running as both the Republican and the Democrat, and if patterns hold and he gets just uh, a percentage of what fifty percent of the straight ticket Democratic mm-hmm. voters that would normally be there. Uh, he should be all right. And there's no reason for Republican voters to not vote straight ticket, no. as far as I can see. I mean, he's a he's a law and order DA who yeah. 
uh, in my opinion, probably appeals to them just as much as he appeals to conservative and moderate Democrats. Exactly. Yeah, right. The, the things that, that liberal, the problems that liberal Democrats have with Stephen Zappala, you're right, to the more conservative side, they're probably thinking, oh, this guy, you know, yeah. law and order every time. So I guess it's really going to be a choice between, um, as you said, you don't know what kind of DA Lisa Miniman will be. We know what kind of DA Stephen Zappala will be, and most For of sure. us, a lot of us don't think that that's the kind of DA that this, that this county needs. But people, people know what they're getting, and they can't say they don't know what they're getting at this point. I think he's been in it so long. So. Yeah, uh, he's, I believe he's going for his sixth term, yeah. which at the end would get him to, what, 24 years? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 24 yep. years in office. So, I mean, he's been DA for 90% of my life. So it's just it's interesting to look at and – uh, the other thing that I that I've noticed from this race is they are both of the same generation. Yeah, I I, I do kind of believe that a lot of the voters are looking for generational change when going to try to remove uh, long term elected officials. Putting somebody else who's just about the same age and doesn't have the same appeal as you know when you go from a Dom Costa to a Sariana Murado, uh, right. when you go from a, a sixty year a sixty seven year old guy to uh, a 30 something year old young woman. There's, right. there's a drastic change right. that people were looking for. Um, and, and talk about drastic differences. Um, and, and this is, uh, and I, we, we didn't cover this. We didn't cover this in the, our election issue, but there is a race for Allegheny County <laughs> executive between incumbent rich Fitz, rich Fitzgerald and um, former county council person um, Matt Droz, and I don't mean to laugh, but I covered a little bit of Matt Droz when he was on county council. Um, Matt Droz, as you may have seen, especially if you drive around Ross Township, Matt's been standing on the side of the road with a sign. I saw him on Washington Boulevard. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, standing in the in the median with his sign. So you know he's out there. He's he's trying to get he's trying to get votes. What what do you what do you what do you what do you make of the whole? His whole attempt, and then it's just, I mean, obviously, he may have a tire, tougher road to climb than Lisa Middleman. Uh, I would say so, yeah. that he does have a tougher road to climb. Uh, but Mr. Fitzgerald is is pretty popular, especially when you get out into the suburban communities. He does a lot of work out there mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that those communities are, are taken care of. So uh, I, don't, I don't think that he'll yeah. even come close. Right. Uh, it's just, you know... But uh, Mr. Fitzgerald is apparently taking it seriously. He's running. He's running television ads. Yeah. and you know he's out there campaigning. So I, I, I personally don't know if anybody can beat Rich Fitzgerald in Allegheny County. The man campaigns harder than anybody right. that I've ever seen. I've I've seen him go from McCandless to South Park to East Liberty in a matter of hours, and yeah. you just like you're everywhere. It's just he's just everywhere. Yeah. What um. People have been sort of speculating about this probably since even when Rich was, and people have talked about Rich potentially previous. I think in the last or was the last cycle, the cycle before, about um, running for governor. What do you th- where do you think Rich goes from county executive? That's a that's a an interesting question. The, the problem for a politician like Rich Fitzgerald is where's your constituency east of the Susquehanna River? Right. Uh, can you can you break into the to the collar counties or you know break into Philadelphia? And as long as you know it's rumored that someone like Josh Shapiro is going to run for either right. governor or United States Senate, it takes up a pretty big lane. And uh, I I have no idea where that shakes out. You also have John Fetterman looking at you know trying to do something on a statewide level right. uh, after 
his four years as lieutenant governor. So you never know which which, which way the ball might Eugene break. Eugene DePasquale also is. Well, he's running for Congress. Running for Congress. Yeah, he's decided that he's going to he's going to run for Congress, and it looks like he has a a pretty good shot at yeah. flipping flipping that seat. Uh, I think that's Dauphin County, and uh, a couple stretching up to I can't remember where the district goes. Yeah. they just they just redrew the maps, which is the only reason why I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, I initially I, thought he he might be a a good choice to run uh, for Toomey seat when it's up, but. You're right. To, an opportunity to take a seat away from Republicans is probably with somebody as popular as as Deepa Squally is. is probably well, a few years ago, a lot of people thought Bill Peduto might be the one to take on Pat Toomey. But right. the, the more and more I, I think about it, the more and more you realize that he doesn't necessarily have that. that some of the politicians here don't have that statewide appeal. Right. And, and I mean, obviously, Bill Peduto is not up for for reelection, but he's been in the news the last uh He's been in the news the last few days um, with a speech that he made at. Um, I think it was the climate summit in D.C. Correct, the climate summit in D.C. Um, and talk a little bit about that. He he basically said that he that Pittsburgh doesn't want Pittsburgh to basically be the, a heavy industrial. So I think the phrase was the petrochemical and natural gas capital of America. Right. Um, so I, I, apparently Mr. Peduto only wants us to be the tech and autonomous vehicles capital <laughs> right. of America. Um, you know, I, I, I think that uh, he's neglecting a large portion of the economy that in, in, a, in a, an industry that brings a lot of jobs to the outlying areas of the region and a lot of money into the region. And uh, that's part of the reason why I made the statement about certain elected officials not having statewide appeal. Yeah. Uh, if you want to ban petrochemicals throughout the state and you want to ban natural gas uh, fracking, there are going to be a lot of communities that stand up and say that that they love those jobs that are there and the money that's coming in and the tax revenue. And there are also going to be people who stand up and say, but yeah, but what about our water? So you have to walk a fine line between right. protecting people's water and people's air and then also making sure that jobs are there for everyone and not just, you know, the, the, the tech engineers and the CMU graduates. Yeah. There's a story in the Beaver County times yesterday, actually, where um, many of the officials down there where the, where the, uh, the cracker plant shell cracker plant is, um, we're pretty, we're really took the opportunity to fire at Peduto to say, look, you know, Pittsburgh isn't be just remember Pittsburgh isn't in Beaver County, you know, and, and that's, um, well, I mean, you also have Exxon eyeing another site in Beaver County right. for, for a cracker plant of their own. I mean, and so the mayor of the city of Pittsburgh is, is getting in the way of economic development for other portions of the region because he doesn't necessarily like, um, the particular industry. I, I think it's a bit alarming. And I think it's it's very elitist to to say I'm in my ivory tower in the city of Pittsburgh, and I don't believe that we should have these type of jobs here that that provide income right. to a, a, a large group of uh, laborers effectively. This is what uh, Beaver County Democratic Beaver County Commissioner Tony Amadio said: "The last time I looked on a map, the city of Pittsburgh is not in the county of Beaver. The mayor of Pittsburgh does not speak for Beaver County. I welcome any company recognized by the United States or the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania who wants to bring jobs to Beaver County." <laughs> and so they obviously they wasted no time down the river to uh, to say, "Hey, you know, he doesn't he doesn't speak to us." But he has sort of become, or at least has presented as the sort of leader, the region's leader. When it, especially on on issues like this, I mean, well, it, it was the it was the Paris, not Pittsburgh, thing right, right, that exactly, elevated him to that level. It was the the fights with Donald Trump and the the bickering with him on Twitter um, that that made him uh, 
made him this this national regional celebrity where you know he represents and embodies all that is Pittsburgh and the the one thing about Pittsburgh is a lot of times when you travel you'll meet people and they'll say that they're from Pittsburgh and then they'll go and I'll go oh well what part and they'll go oh uh, well you know Johnstown right or Hempfield or <laughs> like I'm from I'm yeah. from I'm from Hanover Township, Beaver County, and I'm just like, oh, well, that's really not Pittsburgh, but <laughs> I mean, but he goes around yeah. the country as the mayor of the city of Pittsburgh and, and claims to represent this region, and he espouses views that a, a lot of people, even Democrats in the area, right. don't necessarily agree with lockstep. I, I can't imagine that labor, uh, especially the building trade unions, are extremely excited about what he said about petrochemicals when they're when they've been building this cracker plant for five years and they're probably about to build another one and then another one in West Virginia. Yeah. Interesting. You said that because, um, in that same article, Darren Kelly of the Allegheny Fayette central labor council president said, it's an insult to lots of hardworking men and women in organized labor and their entire way of life. It's hard to believe that the mayor of Pittsburgh would actually tell companies not to create thousands of good middle-class jobs in our region. And it isn't, and it isn't true. We have to choose between good jobs and clean air and water. So yeah, it didn't sit well with a lot of folks probably outside of his, outside of his base and, and probably people outside of the outside of the city. Not to say that, you know, that the entire city of Pittsburgh supports that, that, um, that thinking, but you know, certainly, well, certainly there, a good there, number of his base does. There, yeah, there are, several climate activists and climate groups, groups that I, I support mm-hmm. personally. Um, but at the same time, and I, and I, when I ran for city council, I had a conversation with the Sierra club and I said, listen, you really have to strike a balance in this region between heavy industry and some of these outlying areas and, you know, keeping the air clean and the water clean. It, it needs to be a priority to keep the air and the water clean, but also you have a large pool of people here that really need this type of work. And if we don't bring this type of business to the region, you know, we'll have a lot of unemployed construction workers. We'll have a lot of unemployed line workers and mine workers and, and uh, uh, pipe fitters. And it, there's this industry, this, this natural gas industry and the heavy chemicals industry is bringing a lot of jobs mm-hmm. uh, into the construction industry and into other sectors. So you can't necessarily ignore it. Uh, because it, it could have a de- it could do damage to the economy overall. Um, speaking of your your run for council, you ran against Ricky Burgess in District Council District Nine um, in the spring. Um, well, there's and, some independents running. In well, that that's race. that's where I'm that's where I'm going. There's some independents <laughs> in that race too. <laughs> but you um you know it was uh, you had a live campaign. I mean it was it was you know coming down to the wire. Um, to to potentially winning that winning that seat, um, and now we have the situation where there are three three independents, two independents, three three. Yes, yeah, so he, he has another field of four, and, and I've read some things. Um, uh, maybe one media outlet uh, whose name I won't mention, but um, that seem to think that there's a chance there for those that one of those independents to potentially beat Burgess. What do you what do you think about that? And I, I think in, in a four person race, it would be even harder for an independent to beat an incumbent or do you the think the problem is the straight ticket yeah, vote right I, I mean i was canvassed my house was canvassed by one of ricky burgess's canvassers and when they realized that people would say no i'm not voting for ricky burgess the one thing that he can fall back on is he can just go to people's doors and have his canvassers ask them to vote straight ticket democrat right and you'll get him and if and if two thousand people three thousand people in my district show up and vote straight ticket democrat that's a hard thing to overcome mm-hmm. Uh, and the one thing that I know from years of watching Reverend Burgess and 
watching his campaign operations is that he has about 2,000 people that he can get to show up to vote for him. So you add that to whatever straight ticket voters there are, uh, and that's 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 hard to overcome. And I don't think any of the uh, any of the candidates running are 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 doing what's going to be necessary to actually yeah. actually win. Also, it would have been very nice if there was only one independent, and then that way you can tick it up with someone like Lisa Middleman, and then there's a straight independent option. Right. But when you have four and five independents uh, running in one race, it right. just it becomes hard for the people to weed through. Uh, what's really going on. Right. And it's the same thing when you have, you know, when you ran in the spring, again, you were, how many, we're four, right? Four in your race too? Um, At one point there were more. Uh, let's see. Uh, I See, I paid so little attention to the people. <laughs> you had to take care of yourself, yeah. <laughs> um, one, two, three, four. And Leon Ford dropped out early. Yeah, Leon yeah. Ford. It was me, Judith Ginyard, Shirley Fuller, Stefan Braxton. Stefan Braxton. So he had four challengers. Uh, plus himself. So, so I would think it would be even, and again, you, you all were on the, you're all in the democratic primary. So that was, I mean, this is, and there's, an no, straight trying t- to, there's right. no straight ticket option. So if people know your name, it's a lot easier to get them to just go in right. and vote for you. Uh, and they might have other people that they're planning on going in to vote for, but all that matters is that they show up to vote for you. One thing you can't vote straight ticket on this year is there are two referendums on the, well, We'll talk about that. There are two referendums on the ballot, but only one of them may actually have their votes counted. Um, one is <laughs> one That's is the ACLU. a yeah, no kidding. Um, one is um, one 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 such referendum will would provide uh, a 0.5 mil uh, uh, tax levy to support and help support maintain and grow the city park system, uh, the 165 city parks. And the other is Marcy's Law. And let's talk about Marcy's Law first. Marcy's Law is a national initiative um, known as a Victims' Rights Amendment. And it was going on, it was going on, the, um, going on the ballot as, um, uh, as a constitutional amendment, so the, which meant that the, the language therein would become, would become law. Now, uh, there was the ACLU launched a media cha- – or a media, sorry, <laughs> launched a legal challenge. Along with the there was League. a media challenge also, yeah. Along with the League of Women Voters. The League of Women Voters, right. And uh, their, their basic – and I'm oh, very much oversimplifying this – was basically that um, in, in establishing, quote-unquote, rights for others, you, were, you really risk taking away the rights of those charged with a crime. And again, these aren't – guilty folks who are at this at that moment they are they are charged with a crime so um this morning or last night i, I saw it this morning um uh, a, a judge um blocked blocked the votes from being counted so any vote you you will vote for that next week however any votes cast for that won't be counted however um it is being t- it is going to be uh, uh challenged uh or appeal to the Supreme Court. Um, so what is your thought on Marcy's Law before and now after sort of what, what happened? So I, I have friends who are both – some are supportive. Uh, they're, they're doing this around the country. So a lot of my friends are, uh, nationally are aware certain states in the south and other states around the country are getting Marcy's Law as well. Yeah. So um, some people are supportive of it. Uh, but a lot of my friends around groups like the ACLU and, you know, the more progressive people, the mm-hmm. left-leaning people uh, are, you know, against it because it seems to uh, upend due process in their opinion. And uh, 
I I was torn on whether or not I was going to vote for it, and I'm kind of glad that they've right. you know uh, decided that the that our courts have decided that it's not going to go forward. Um, it's a very difficult thing, you know. You 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 on one hand you have a list of things that if they ran down it, uh, you'd say, oh, those are all good. I want to, a victim should be notified if the yeah. the person who assaulted them is going to be released and families should have input and this all should be written in the law. But then when you find out that people have the right to avoid discovery and things like that, it's, it, it becomes uh, concerning. And I think that if they're going to do something like Marcy's law, they should probably revise it and address some of the concerns that were brought forward uh, in the legal challenge. Is that something that that you think will will? Is that something you think will happen? And and I, I don't think. I mean, it doesn't it's, seem to me that the, that the state supreme court will. It's one very wealthy yeah. person doing this yeah. entire law, so th- there's no telling what could happen. Right. They could they could bring it back. They could have the Republicans reintroduce it. The, the legislature could move on it. There's uh, there's a ton of different ways that they could that they could try to play this, uh, and they have the money to do it. Um, as you see, you know, Kelsey Grammer's in ads. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it, yeah, this again, this isn't this isn't just a local this isn't a local issue. This is a national, national issue, issue that they're bringing to the state level across the country. Um so it's pretty interesting to see how that will all sort of pan out. How this is going to pan out as you're listening to the Pittsburgh Current Pod. That was a horrible horrible segue. I know I'm looking at Mike Sorg and he's like, "Are you shitting me?" Anyway, this is the Pittsburgh Current Podcast Network, and we're here with Kieran Young, and we are wrapping up our day. We're going to talk, though, about this, this Parks Initiative. You can check out the newest issue of the Pittsburgh Current on Stands Now. You can also go to PittsburghCurrent.com. We've got coverage um, of, the, of, the, of the three biggest issues in this election, um, the DEA's race, the Marcy's Law, and um, what we're going to talk about now, which is the Parks referendum, a story that, a story that I wrote. And um, we also had Jane Miller um, on our show uh, recently from the Parks Conservancy talking about the initiative. Um, so this is one that um, I had heard about and I didn't realize that there was going to be so much um, that it was going to be so divisive. I mean, there are people really against um, taking tax dollars and putting them toward a public trust. I mean, a private trust co- effectively. Correct. It's, it, yeah. yeah, it's it's a little problematic. And then also the the, the and I, I haven't had a chance to get this question answered by the uh, by the Parks Conservancy folks is so the parks would then be owned by the trust. The trust is then a private entity. So they're no longer public parks. No, they would still be public parks. Um, and uh, so what it would be, yeah, it would basically this the, they would be uh, they would be owned. They would stay owned by the they would stay owned by the city. The parks would. Um, however, the money that comes in uh, from, from how I've understood it is that the, um, that the city would, the city would get the money and council would have to approve any expenditure thereof. However, there are some people uh, tied to council who aren't so sure that the language in the bill is as clear as that. So it's it's certainly not a privatization of the parks, but it is certainly as far as the tax money. There is some concerns because there are some concerns. The Parks Conservancy on their website, they have a lot of information. Um, you kind of have to go searching though for the other side. Yeah. People have talked in articles and people have written some letters and different things. 
But there isn't really like I think like a centralized effort against this initiative. No, but um, there there yeah. wasn't a centralized effort against the Children's Fund initiative. Correct, but it failed. Right, uh, because all you have to do is stand at a polling location and say they're trying to raise your property taxes. Right, right. And most people will yeah. vote against and, and it. And that's and that's I mean that and that at the very base is the first argument, which is. But Property I, owners, once again, are taking a hit. I was more concerned with the fact that, you know, a, a private entity is trying to grab our parks and it's just it just seemed like another way for Bill Peduto to pass the parks on to somebody else. We've got problems all around the city uh, with, you know, the city selling off the, the parks to different real estate developers and to, to watch an entire trust come in that would then take the power away from the city council. Uh, the reason why I never thought that the 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 referendum as it's written would give council the power is because council already has the power. Correct. So why do we need a referendum to give council the power to do something that council well, already has the power to do? Well, it's also to give to give the city more money to put toward the park specifically. Oh yes. Um, which is it's a money ten it's a money million grab by the ten nonprofit. million yeah yeah ten million a year to go toward to go toward the parks in there. You can check out my story on PittsburghCurrent.com. And and there is one thing, you know, and I, one thing, though, I will say is that um, if this passes, they have very clearly stated that, you know, the parks with the greatest needs and under, underserved communities, they have a list of 20 parks. If that if that list isn't followed to the T, if this passes, <laughs> I mean, there's going to be there's going to be a, there's going to be a mutiny, uh, I think. So um, there have been a lot of lot of promises put out there. It's not to say that, you know, and so um, I feel like the Parks Conservancy has done a good job of saying um, what they plan to do with the money. However, you know, reality versus, you know, reality versus um uh, promises, as we all know in politics, are sometimes hard to to keep, even if you want to keep them. So, um, if this doesn't go well, because you know people are going to expect this, to, I think, to be, you know, to the T, done exactly what what the Parks Conservancy said they were they were going to do. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how this one's going to go either. It's I I don't trust it. Yeah, and I'm voting now. Yes, yeah. I can tell you how I'm going to vote. On that. I'm voting now. <laughs> Kieran does not mince words, folks. I I am not <laughs> I am not a huge supporter of raising property taxes. Yeah, I think that uh, the fact that a lot of our parks were left in neglect for so long, um, you know, is a huge problem. And I really do believe, like I've written before in the current, that we need to start charging the nonprofits. Uh, yeah, the the big four. Yeah, and making them pay and making them pay their fair share in taxes because uh, and. Speaking of broken promises, wasn't that a promise of our dear mayor? <laughs> yeah, and that's what I was actually going to say is that we we need to we should talk about that some other time again because that's the thing, right? I mean, that's something that I too have written about. It's it's um it's really just a strange you know situation. There are a couple of things that a couple of promises specifically in my head that Bill Peduto made that just haven't sort of to my mind they were they were they were big promises. There was that, and then of course there was the that there would be an enforcement of the lost and stolen gun ordinance. <laughs> which had no chance of, which had zero chance of. He's ever trying being, not to get sued, man. Right, which had zero chance of ever being held up. But he knew he was going to be sued when he promised to do it. People, we, you know, I was one of those reporters. You said, "Look, you know, the reason that Luke Ravenstahl, <laughs> I hate saying that name, even, um, even 
you know, he said he won't enforce it is because the city will get sued. And, you know, Peduto and others said, you know, good, we'll be sued, but we're going to enforce the law. And then after the election, it was, well, we're going to be sued. Well, you know, no shit, buddy. It, it was it was going to happen from the beginning. So there there are a couple things there that I think have been um, um that's that's my soapbox i think your yours is yours is the is the is the pilot tax mine is uh mine is that um it just situation. it just blows my mind that uh that we don't have these large these large nonprofits which own a yeah. massive amount of land in the city they don't pay any taxes and right. i'm just sitting here scratching my head and thinking well every time we need more money for something we have to raise taxes on property owners and i'm just like well there's a bunch of there's a huge yeah. swath of property that's not even being taxed let's start with that and then see what's left over after we after we pay for everything Kieran Young thank you very much for joining me today and Kieran will also be joining us on election night, um, we will be uh, talking election results as they come in. We'll be talking uh, elections, politics. We'll also probably be spitting forward to 2020 a little bit and talking about because there's nothing going on next year. That's for sure. Um, oh, so there's, we'll, a, there's a ton going on next year. Oh, every single every single member of the House is getting <laughs> right. a primary challenge. Exactly. And, uh, you know, the presidency and a few other things. So, yeah. So next year, so we'll talk a little bit about about the big year coming up in 2020. And um, we will be live on um uh, Facebook as well as on our YouTube channel and um, you can check us out on Tuesday night but as for today that has this has been the Pittsburgh Current uh, podcast and uh, thank Kieran Young for joining us check out the newest issue of the Pittsburgh Current uh, and online at PittsburghCurrent.com A better alternative Giving Pittsburgh A better alternative This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.